We continue today with the sermon series, the commandment, the eighth commandment, you shall not steal. The reading of scripture to accompany that commandment comes from Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 4. Reading verses 17 through 32, we're going to be focusing on uh, verse 28 there. That's the key verse for the purpose of this sermon. Our focus text will be Ephesians 4, 28, along with Exodus 20, 15. Let's ask the Lord to bless the reading and hearing of his word. Father, we thank you that you are a God of righteousness. And we thank you that you are a God of truth and faithfulness. We pray the blessing of your Holy Spirit upon us now so that your voice of truth and faithfulness will speak to us in your word written in Scripture. And we pray, O Lord, that you would give us hearts that love your law and delight to do your will and that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit in accordance with your word so that we might walk in your ways and keep your commandments. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whom alone we trust, Amen. Let us hear the word of God from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, beginning at verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hard, their hardness of heart. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and you were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And now unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, glory, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Do you remember that the sixth commandment, you shall not murder, takes us all the way back, all the way back to the beginning, to the beginning in which God created 
humanity, male and female, in his own image. Do you remember that? Do you remember that the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery, takes us back, all the way back to the beginning when God instituted marriage, the union of husband and wife as one flesh? Well, again today, the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal, takes us all the way back. All the way back to the very beginning. How so? What's the connection? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. The Eighth Commandment takes us all the way back to the very beginning because God created humanity, male and female, in His own image to reflect God's glory upon the earth and to exercise dominion, lordship, as God's representatives over the creation. That means that the creation and all things in it were entrusted to humanity as the stewards of God's creation. And as the stewards of God's creation, we were created and placed on the earth in the garden to work it, to keep it, to nurture its productivity, to protect it from harm, and to benefit from its bounties. So right there in the opening chapters of Genesis 1 and 2, We have the theological foundations for, number one, an understanding of human stewardship of all creation, all of which ultimately belongs to God. Number two, the theological foundation for a God-glorifying work ethic, realizing that our work and the fruits of our labor are to be for God and His glory in His service as we exercise dominion over the earth. And number three, the theological foundation for a right understanding of private ownership, private property. Because you see, to whatever degree God has entrusted us individuals, stewards, with the responsibility and the accountability for His creation, however large or small our share, including our goods and our services, our personal talents, our financial resources, whatever our assets may be that God has entrusted to us, you see He has ordained our personal or our private ownership of that asset on His behalf and for His glory. So whenever we Christians speak of personal ownership or private property, We have to understand it within the larger context of stewardship for the glory of God. So I can can rightly speak, I can biblically speak of my money, my house, my car as my personal or private property, but I always need to remember that my money, my house, my car is God's money, God's house, God's car entrusted into my stewardship for His glory for the increase of His kingdom upon the earth. It all belongs to Him, 
But because God has entrusted it into my personal stewardship, God has also therefore decreed and commanded that it should be protected while in my care, that your pet possessions should be protected while in your care. So here's the first main point, and it ought not to be taken for granted. The Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal, presupposes private ownership, private property. But you see, from a biblical point of view, personal ownership, private property has to be put in the broader light of stewardship for the glory of God. But I make that point because, you see, this commandment, you shall not steal, has implications for our understanding of what a just economy ought to look like. Now, point number two, the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal, is a major heading, a major category, including all economic interchange and exchange. Just as the Fifth Commandment, honor your father and mother, ultimately addresses all human relationships. The Sixth Commandment, you shall not murder, covers every aspect of protecting and promoting human life. The Seventh Commandment, you shall not commit adultery, concerns all of sexual ethics. So now the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal, has to do with all economic activity, all commerce and trade, the way in which all business is conducted, and the way in which financial resources are used for the glory of God, or not, and the way in which the truly poor in society are treated. It's a big category. The Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal, is simple enough, clear enough on its face, don't take what doesn't belong to you. But on top of that, there's a lot more to it. The Eighth Commandment reveals to us that God cares about material possessions. He cares about your material possessions. God cares about the financial economies of societies, how business is transacted in society. God cares about justice and the just, that is the lawful, the equitable, the upright, interchange and exchange of goods and services in human society. God cares about all of this worldly stuff. And in fact, in the, in, in the chapters following the Ten Commandments, there are various case law scenarios, specific situations involving various kinds of thefts, stipulating the kind of punishments which were to be applied in ancient Israel and how restitution was to be paid to the owner for stolen goods. And these, these Old Testament Israelite laws are, are to be applicable not in exactly the same way, but as a matter of principle, applicable to all societies today. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox, four sheep for a sheep. If a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed over or lets his beast loose and it feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best in his own field and in his own vineyard. If fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that the stacked grain or the standing grain or the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution. God cares about such matters. But point number three, the Eighth Commandment applies in our day not only to shoplifting and burglary and stealing candy from children, but also to every form of unjust or dishonest economic dealing, swindling, scamming, 
false advertising, governments playing hocus-pocus with the financial markets and financial institutions for political reasons with the result that the economy collapses. Playing with money is stealing. Playing with other people's money is stealing. The Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal, really ought to be, ought to put the brakes on, ought to be a, a very cautionary word, a very moderating influence also upon governments. As, as they participate in that legal theft known as taxation. It's a big subject. Point number four is that the Bible has a lot to say also about honesty and integrity in financial dealings. Proverbs 11.1 1 says, a false balance, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord. But a just weight is His delight. Now, you see, this has to do with truthfulness in commerce, not overcharging, fraudulently inflating the value of goods, not having scales that say 10 pounds of potatoes when, in fact, there are only 8.5 pounds of potatoes. Same principle would also apply in the financial relationship between employer and employee. The employee is to give an honest day's work for an honest day's wages to be shiftless and slovenly on the job, to be late to work, is to steal from the employer. But to pay less than an employee has rightfully earned is to steal from the employee. The Eighth Commandment also prohibits any kind of trickery, wheeling and dealing and unfair advantage which would deceive and deprive anyone out of their money or possessions. This would include false advertising or falsely inflating prices, falsely representing a product's worth, taking advantage of the ignorance of the buyer. It would also apply to price gouging in times of emergency. So, so you see that although the Bible, the Bible lays out basic foundational principles for what could be called free market capitalism, you shall not steal. And other passages regarding... God's blessing for the creation and production of wealth and the reaping of the rewards of profit, the fruit of your labor. Yes, the Bible lays that out. But at the same time, that free market is not free from the moral law of God. It is not free to deceive and to defraud or to take unfair advantage of those in desperate need. So, for example, charging excessively high interest rates to a poor person who can't get a loan anywhere else. That may be legal, but according to God's law, it is not moral. And it is prohibited by Scripture as a form of stealing. So, point number five, then, is that the Bible has a good bit to say about protecting the poor and the weak from predatory, predatory economic practices. Proverbs 23, 10 through 11 says, Do not move an ancient landmark or enter the fields of the fatherless, for their Redeemer is strong. He will plead their case against you. 
point of that proverb is to protect the economic rights and property of the poor and the weak so that it, what is rightfully theirs not be wrongfully taken from them by those who are more powerful. The Bible has an awfully lot to say about not oppressing the poor, the weak, the fatherless, the disadvantaged, by taking advantage of them and forcing them into slave labor or into working for insufficient wages. Old Testament Israel law allowed for the poor to glean the fields after the harvest so that they too could have enough to eat. Deuteronomy chapter 23 says, if you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall not put any in your bag. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. On the one hand, the poor of the land are not condemned to starve, and those who have are to be willing to share as stewards of God's bounty. But on the other hand, the poor are not given permission to steal and plunder. You see, all of these concerns fall under the category of the Eighth Commandment. You shall not steal. Now, we live in a fallen world. There always has been, since Adam and Eve's disobedience, there always has been and there always will be some measure of economic disparity, rich and poor. But as biblical Christians, as followers of Jesus, we cannot be uncaring or insensitive or dismissive to the needs of the poor. Caring for the poor and needy has always been a calling upon God's people. That is crystal clear in Scripture and from the lips of Jesus himself. You cannot read the Bible without reading God's command and call to care for the poor and needy and to be generous in doing so. Now, the problem for us, or at least for many of us, many of us in America, many of us here this morning, is that in the latter half of the 20th century and now into the 21st century, the government has replaced the church with an unbiblical welfare state, violating biblical principles, which has created a culture of poverty, which perpetuates poverty, and produces all manner of the social ills which go along with that. We understand that. But just because the modern welfare state has made a mess of poor people's lives does not mean that we, the church of Jesus Christ, can therefore neglect, ignore, or resent the needs of the poor. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel of redemption, body and soul. As we seek to reach others with the gospel of grace, we will often need to reach them through the meeting of their physical needs, helping them to meet their own needs and to become self-sufficient. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel of liberation, setting the captives free. And many people need to be set free from the prison of dependency in poverty. And whatever Christian ministry helps people get on their feet, sets them free from a prison of dependency, breaks the vicious cycle of poverty, empowers them to become gainfully employed, teaches them that God calls us to work in His creation for His glory, and that God intends for them to enjoy the fruits of their labor with wise, responsible stewardship and money management. In any way that we, the church of Jesus Christ, can do these types of ministries, either as individuals reaching out to 
individuals in need or as a congregation and mission work to this very community. When we help people break out of the, the vicious cycle of poverty, in the name of Christ, set them free from the prison of poverty to become productive citizens, we are fulfilling the Eighth Commandment. And it's true. All of the commandments have a positive application. You shall not murder means you shall protect and promote the life of your neighbor. You shall not steal means you shall do all you can to enable your neighbor, enable your neighbor to provide for himself and to better his lot in life. Point number six then, if, if that's where we are, <coughs> is that the eighth commandment positively stated means, here it is, you shall not steal. What does that mean? It means I'm not supposed to take candy from children. But it also means that God has put us on the earth to work hard as his stewards. Do the best job we can do. Be the best ditch digger we can be. Manage our money responsibly, frugally, wisely, and, and improve our position. Why? For what goal? For our own aggrandizement, our own fame and fortune and creature comforts? No. For the glory of God. For the financial support of the work of the kingdom of Christ in the world. And for the relief of the needs of the poor. The whole Protestant Puritan work ethic which was the economic backbone of this nation in its previous life, was based on the full and positive application of the Eighth Commandment. The Protestant Puritan work ethic that you've heard about was based on the positive, full application of the Eighth Commandment. You shall not steal commands me to work to be industrious, to be responsible, to be wise in the way that I manage my money. It condemns sloth. It condemns get-rich-quick schemes. It condemns frivolous lawsuits. It condemns wasteful living. And you shall not steal also commands me to be mindful of the needs of my neighbor and to be ready and willing to share with those in need so that they are not put under undue stress and temptation to steal. Break the cycle. You see that? Now, here, here we go from Ephesians 4. Here's the connection. Here's the New Testament gospel application. In the passage from Ephesians 4, Paul, you see, is, exerting, is exhorting the Ephesian Christians to live no longer as the pagans do who do not worship, who do not know and worship the true God, who live with hardened hearts, callous consciences, in sensuality and impurity, greedy for themselves. Paul exhorts these Ephesian Christians to live as new people in Christ, to be renewed in the spirit of their minds, to be transformed from the inside out, to live as heaven's people on earth, and therefore not to lie to one another, not to act in sinful anger toward one another. And then 428, our focus verse says this, 
a direct application of the Eighth Commandment. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Do you see it? You see it breaking the cycle? You see the transformation of an individual affecting the transformation of a society? There it is, the redemption of the thief. Now, last Sunday we read about the redemption of the woman caught in adultery to whom Jesus said, go and sin no more. Well, here is essentially the same word to those people in Ephesus who had had a lifestyle of thievery, but who had now heard and believed the gospel. They had a new life through the forgiveness of their sins, through faith in Jesus Christ. They had a transformed life now by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The power of the gospel broke the cycle of crime in their lives. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need, so that those in need will not be tempted to steal. The gospel transforms individual lives, and the gospel transforms societies and cultures. But as we've seen with each of the commandments, the ultimate problem lies not with our external circumstances or even our external behavior, but with our hearts. As we read earlier, Jesus said, from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, deceit, envy. That's a part of this, you shall not steal All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So how are we doing? How are we doing? We may not be outright thieves, but what about the greed? The envy? Covetousness in our hearts? We may, may not be outright thieves, but what about the discontentment with our lot? Ooh the richest people who ever lived in the history of the world, and we aren't happy about it. We may not be outright thieves, but we are, are we generous to others? We may, may not be outright thieves, but do we rob God? Do we, as Malachi 3.8 says, rob God by withholding or skimping on our tithes and offerings? This is your stewardship sermon for this fall. We may not be outright thieves, but what about when there is an error on the check at the restaurant, an error in your favor, something that was served was not included on your check? What do you do? When the cashier gives you a $10 bill for change instead of a $1 bill, what do you do? What about finders, keepers, losers, weepers when it's a nice piece of jewelry and you're all alone in the hotel lobby restroom? We may not be outright thieves, but what about the way we spend money on ourselves perhaps more frivolously than we should? 
Now, that certainly does not mean that we cannot or should not enjoy good things. Of course, we can and we should with God's blessing, with gratitude in our hearts. But, 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 but is it in perspective? Is it in good balanced proportion? Is it well within our means? Does it hinder us from giving generously and faithfully for the sake of the kingdom of Christ? Wouldn't that be stealing from God? You see, the law of God, when interpreted spiritually and applied internally to our hearts, the law of God reveals our need of a Savior, a perfect, sinless Savior, who can cleanse us of our most secret violations of the Eighth Commandment. And you know what? God has provided the perfect, sinless Savior for all of us thieves. Do you know what the punishment for thieves was in the first century Roman Empire? You know what the punishment was? Crucifixion. Do you remember that there were two others crucified with Jesus that day? Do you remember what Matthew tells us was their crime? They were robbers. He died for us. And do you remember that one of those thieves in a moment inspired by the Holy Spirit said, we are justly receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Somehow by the grace of the Holy Spirit, that thief knew and believed that an innocent man was dying in the place of the guilty. Yes, he was. Dying in our place. The innocent for the guilty. Receiving the due reward for our deeds of theft. Do you remember that then the repentant thief said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise, in the eternal garden of Eden. Jesus Christ is the Savior of thieves who turn to Him in repentance and faith. Let us, one and all, turn to Him and live for Him with grateful hearts and generous hands to the glory of His name. Let us pray.
Father, we thank You for Your Word of truth and Your Word of grace, Your Word of righteousness and Your Word of mercy. By the power of Your Holy Spirit, impress the saving Gospel of Jesus upon our hearts and minds so that we might live as people who have already been raised from the dead to life everlasting here on earth to the glory of Your name. Amen.